Hello. Passionate about sustainability, energy, and climate? You're in the right place. Welcome to Energetic. I'm Maureen Cornelis, and together we will engage with people who dedicate their lives to climate justice and making a just energy transition happen. They may be activists, scientists, policymakers, or other enthusiasts, just like you. Let the life stories and insights inspire you to build a better future for people and the planet. Today, I'm thrilled to be back on Energetic, and I'm also super happy to welcome Audrey Dobbins, who is a researcher at the Institute of Energy Economics and Rational Energy Use in Germany at the University of Stuttgart. Audrey's research now focuses on analyzing the significance of energy poverty on the energy system by applying an energy economics model. She will soon present her PhD thesis, focusing on improving the energy welfare of vulnerable households and the overall energy planning while achieving the energy and social objectives of the energy transition in Germany. Back in South Africa, she also earned a master's in energy studies from the University of Cape Town, and she worked for an NGO on improving the energy welfare of residents in informal settlements and developing and implementing energy and climate change strategies together with cities. This is quite impressive, but it will be even more impressive when I tell you that I met Audrey a few years ago, actually half a decade ago, as she was part of the team assessing how European Union member states define the issue of energy poverty and vulnerable consumers. At the time, it was quite a groundbreaking report, and I'm sure that the progress we see on the energy poverty topic at the European level is directly related to Audrey's research. So, Audrey, welcome. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast today. It's a great honor to be part of this fantastic series. So, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Audrey. So, Audrey, you have a pretty unique story. You have lived all your life between South Africa, the US, and now Germany working on different aspects of the uh, social energy transition. So what is the storyline? <laughs> so when I first started studying, this was in the United States, I knew I wanted to do something environmental, but I didn't yet know what I wanted to do. So I actually did my bachelor's degree in chemistry, but not because I wanted to be a chemist, but actually because When I wanted to apply for graduate school, then I wanted to set myself apart from the most common route to do environmental studies, which is to study biology. So, and this is actually one of the things that I like about the way that bachelor's degrees are set up in the United States is that they, they make you take classes in all disciplines, irrespective of what your major is. So it was actually in my very last semester that I took a class on environmental politics. And I was completely hooked. You know, I was like, wow, okay, this is what I want to do. <laughs> But of course, life happens. So I went on exchange to Germany and ended up moving there. But at the time, Germany didn't have a bachelor master system. So all I had was this bachelor's degree in chemistry. And so I had the option of either carrying on to study chemistry to get a recognized degree or starting all over again to switching to studying politics. And as you can imagine, neither of these options really appealed to me at all. <laughs> so 
I got a job at a research organization to see if I could make friends with chemistry as my career path. So I was working in a a research lab building solar cells. (laughs) So this was my first like more in-depth exposure to the energy side of environmental issues. And so it was here that um, through this work, I also attended various conferences where we showcased our solar cells. Um, this is where I came into contact with other researchers working on the other side of the solar cells. So more on the applications of solar energy in different contexts. And it was through this that I started getting in touch with, um, you know, not just how technologies are intended to be used, but how they actually are used. Mm-hmm. So especially in rural areas, um, it gave households access to new opportunities, but it also highlighted, you know, how some countries and population groups, women and children, rural households, as I said, are also disadvantaged in the pursuit of the bigger energy picture. So they experience more hardships, are exposed to toxins through indoor air pollution, the amount of time they have to use to collect firewood, just to meet a basic need that most of us in the developed world completely take for granted. So it was really this inequality that interested me. And that was when I knew that these were the issues that I actually wanted to be working on. And I didn't want to be in a lab. So I looked for a master's program where I could delve more into these issues. And since this wasn't an option for me in Germany, I actually found a master's program in South Africa, which is where I'm originally from. So off I went to the University of Cape Town. And I ended up doing a master's in energy studies, which was kind of a jack-of-all-trades interdisciplinary (laughs) master's. So it covered uh, the technological, political, environmental, and the social aspects of energy. And this was how I got into the topic of energy poverty in the first place. So, yeah, so I was living in South Africa. And, I mean, there's a lot of poverty. There's a lot of inequality And at the time, the main focus was on, political focus was on trying to reverse the infrastructural wrongs of the apartheid government, Mm -hmm. including the energy infrastructure. So the international policy at the time was driven by the UN Millennium Development Goals. And so the drive was to achieve universal access to electricity for all by 2012. Well, this still hasn't been achieved, but yeah, <laughs> there were major challenges then and there are major challenges still. But this was how I got onto the issue of not only access, but also affordability of energy. And really the lived experience of the people with energy. Yes. So for my master's thesis, I actually focused on um, the financial support, the government subsidy that the um, was given to cover the basic energy needs of the lower-income households in this context. So they had a um, a tariff, it was just called uh, free basic electricity. Mm-hmm. And this was provided to, well, 50 kilowatt hours free to all households consuming less than a certain amount of electricity. And at the time, they were also considering how to restructure the electricity distribution industry because there were inefficiencies and, you know, it always comes down to cash flow problems, trying to make sure that they can be economically efficient and um, support also the new structure to electrify households, but as well as providing households the ability to be able to afford consumption. And 
yeah so i mean this was really interesting because it just gave me an insight into you know like the side of the the social responsibility but also trying to make sure that that households can actually afford to consume energy as well yeah it's it's the total sense of fairness and it's not only a question of providing access but also providing the tools to be able to access the energy uh, services so it's really amazing what you did and i think that your experience with Africa is so relevant and so important to also uh, put into perspective what we have in Europe or what other countries or continents are experiencing. And there are not so many uh, researchers in Europe who have such a broad perspective and approach and have been looking also at how energy is is used in other contexts and what it means to be energy poor in other contexts. So just move on to your current uh, research as well, because in a way it's totally linked to what you were doing in South Africa, but it's also so different because it's about the situation in Germany and about one of the richest countries in the world, which has quite a particular view on energy poverty, actually. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Germany does not recognize, well, let's just say the outgoing government doesn't recognize energy poverty as an issue separate from overall poverty. And Mm -hmm. so there are major challenges in just trying to tailor energy policies to make sure that all households are given the opportunity to participate in the energy transition. So it was actually, as you said, uh, the study that we did for the European Commission, it was through the Insight e-consortium, where we kind of mapped the understanding of energy poverty in across the different member states. And what we found was that um, it was really about the terminology. So there is this need for member states to work within a particular framework. So, this is, and this is dictated by the directives. But at the same time, there is also this resistance from many member states to really unpack what the term means or who should benefit from policies, because it, you know, from their perspective, it might also mean that you know different spheres of government would be responsible. So, of course, it's also easier to say it's a social issue and then the social system should have to deal with with the issue. But we know that energy poverty is cross-sectional and we need an integrated approach from all of the different policy domains to be able to address this. So there is this resistance to wanting to take action, to define what, what is energy poverty who is affected? How do we measure it? And I mean, this debate has been going on for years and years, but we still have to be pragmatic in our approach because we have to take this forward. I mean, we see now also through the the COVID pandemic that, I mean, we expect many more households to be pushed into energy poverty and yeah. we can't just keep ignoring something. I mean, ignoring something that has always been there, but COVID has really just helped to uncover the issues so that we can see that this is what's happening and we need to take action. Yeah, so as a scientist, uh, we can hear that you're really passionate about the topic and that you you feel the urge to engage and really change the life of the people. And that's not that common among scientists. I mean, it's quite common among the guests of energetics, but it's not that 
common in the uh, overall uh, scientific community. And your work really bridges some gaps between the, let's say, cold analysis, almost chemical analysis of the phenomenon and the lived experience and the, the, the urge to address the energy poverty and vulnerability issue in, in a very uh, consistent, uh, comprehensive and integrated way. So what are some key elements that you observed and made you think that it was the moment to just push some limits and just be an engaged scientist? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that despite progress in recent years on highlighting like the multidimensional nature of energy poverty, there's still this view from the energy side that it's a social issue and from the social side that when energy poverty is taken up in the energy policy domain, it's often reduced to like the technical and economic aspects. Mm -hmm. And it's true that energy poverty is a complex issue and there are a variety of moving parts that in different contexts can either push a household into or um, out of energy poverty. And it's important to acknowledge this complexity, but I also think that it's not about one way or the other, but should be about merging the analysis of the issue. So meeting halfway, if you will. So we need acknowledgement from the techno-economic side mm -hmm. so that this policy approach can also get to groups with this phenomenon. And this is also what I was aiming to do in my PhD thesis. So I've presented on energy poverty to more techno-economic audiences. And when I first started, there was more often than not this kind of blank look on their faces, uh, seemingly asking, what am I talking about? <laughs> Why does this have anything to do with them? This is a social issue. How can technology solve this? <laughs> But there's also an urgency in the types of solutions and the amount of like private investments that we need to be able to avert the climate crisis, mm -hmm. which means that often in this kind of analysis, the lower income or lower consumption households are just discounted because there's this conception that that they're not making the investments we need to shift to renewables and energy efficiency. And they are not consuming enough that the contribution would be significant to the overall system. So that's why I thought, okay, <laughs> let's put energy poverty into this techno-economic framework. And that was how my PhD was born, was to develop this type of tool, in this case, this energy system optimization model, because this is the common tool which is actually used for energy policy decisions, because it helps to just kind of make sense of the complexity within the energy system. Mm -hmm. And it's used to set targets for the different sectors. So um, how we decarbonize, which actors should do what, which renewable sources should we be investing in, how much energy efficiency can we get, by when. And so what I wanted to do was just to take this tool and on the one hand incorporate the elements important to understand the impact of energy poverty on households and then on the other to be able to analyze the impacts of policy decisions on specific household groups defined along income groups. And since I live in Germany, <laughs> I took that as an example. <laughs> That's so interesting because I feel that now in the whole political discourse and even among 
uh, companies or business or entrepreneurs, you have a lot of discourse around social impacts and around the just transition. And everyone is now mentioning energy poverty somehow. But uh, sometimes I feel there is some kind of uh, social washing, if you see what I mean. Not green washing, not... Uh, Bleach watching, of course, but uh, but really some kind of uh, mentality that aims to give a good conscience on these social issues. But actually, it's not really well calculated or well uh, thought. It's like energy poverty is a nice word. Addressing energy poverty or making a just transition are nice words. But the overall concept needs to be a little bit more refined and actors need to get a hold of it in order to make instruments and to build instruments that are really effective. I have in mind, for instance, the uh, the instruments that the European Commission presented in last summer in July uh, 2021, along with the uh, kind of uh, European trading s- uh, system scheme for housing and transport. So what are your views on that? I mean, can we really measure the social impacts of energy policies? And if yes, what would be a well-designed instrument in your view? <laughs> I mean, this is something that I, I tried to do in my in my PhD was to try to measure not only the economic impact uh, or how energy or emissions change, but also to try to understand the social impact, as you say. So what I was often also looked at in my results was the impact on suppressed demand. What is that? So suppressed demand is households not fulfilling certain household energy service demands that they need. So for example, there's this debate about heating or eating or underheating households so basically, you have a need, but mm-hmm. you're not meeting it. And often what we have with energy efficiency policies in lower income households is that once energy efficiency is increased, then households actually have this what's called rebound. So then they end up consuming more, but that's because they can now afford to because the efficiency of the appliances has increased to a degree that allows households to be able to consume more energy, i.e fulfill more energy demands mm-hmm. at the same amount of money. Mm-hmm. So in the report that we did for the commission, where we tried to understand how member states understood energy poverty, we mm-hmm. found that there were two main approaches. So there was a handful of countries that accepted that energy poverty was an issue and understood that the main measures to address energy poverty are around increasing energy efficiency and renewables. So addressing the the underlying causes of energy poverty. Mm-hmm. And the more common approach is the one that defines vulnerabilities in the energy sector for households around vulnerable consumers. Mm-hmm. And This is something that then gets addressed through the social welfare system. Now, the social welfare system obviously has their mandate and their budgets. And so the only measures that they can really enact are to avoid disconnections, to Mm -hmm. allow households to uh, remain connected, even if they're not paying their bills. 
mm-hmm. or to subsidize consumption, so to pay for their energy bills. But the problem that we found with, uh, with this, um, these two different concepts is that if you choose to define vulnerabilities in the energy sector through the terminology for vulnerable consumers, then you're also acting only within the formalized energy markets. Mm-hmm. So we're only looking at electricity and gas. Okay. And we're only looking at beneficiaries of the social welfare system. So already we are very limited in the types of things that we can do. Yeah. And yeah, because I imagine that Well, it's not that I imagine, but there are so many people who use just uh, pellets or uh, wood or fuels, like uh, burning fuel just to heat uh, their home. So it's really out of the, let's say, regulated market for electricity and gas that we have been hearing so much uh, lately. We are recording this episode in December 2021, and we are facing uh, uh, soaring energy prices all over Europe and a lot of problems are coming, of course, from this issue and governments are trying to find some measures to to really contain the those soaring prices. But of course, this is having so many long-term impacts that we can't really uh, measure now. So do you think your research could really fit into this and help find additional, let's say, instruments or ideas or ways really to make the system work better? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what I actually compared was, I mean, in this model, so (laughs) I gave the model the opportunity to provide investment subsidies. Uh So for energy efficiency in buildings or for renewable heating systems, those kinds of options. So the actual high upfront cost investments. And I compared the impact with if we were to take the vulnerable consumers approach, which is just to subsidize consumption. And what I found was that looking just at the lower three income groups in Germany now, what I found was that if we subsidize the investment into technologies for lower income households, they were able to increase the renewable energy consumption to 25%, whereas in the vulnerable consumers approach, it means that households have their energy bills paid, but there is no shift in the types of fuels because they can't afford to invest in alternatives. So these households will continue to rely on fossil fuels, which actually ended up making up half of their energy consumption. So, I mean, if also from a grand scheme From the government perspective, if you look at subsidizing energy consumption and we see that the gas prices are going up, Mm -hmm. then the government also has to pay for the higher gas and Mm -hmm. the carbon tax that's obviously coupled to the fossil fuel consumption. So, I mean, it's really about trying to find ways or explore and (laughs) open the debate about how governments want to spend their money and which kind of future do you want to pay for. And do you think that, well, I I saw that recently uh, while doing some research on my own, I I saw that, for instance, in Seoul, in in South Korea, the capital of South Korea, the government was offering some really low-income pensioners some solar panels to put on their balconies. Do you think that, for instance, that would be an option? You provide uh, people with 
some way to alleviate their energy bills, to help pay for the energy bills through their own production of solar energy. That using that is something that could be reproduced or that could be even happening at European level? Or do you think there are too many other political issues related to clean energy? I mean, absolutely. I think that those kinds of options are something that we should be doing. So, I mean, not only solar panels. So, I mean, there's different technologies for that are more relevant in different contexts. So, in colder climates, well, also in warmer climates, I mean, like the building insulation is really important. Yeah. As a first step, because we're always saying that energy efficiency is like the first fuel. Mm-hmm. So that is also something that we should be targeting is to just make sure that everyone is using energy as efficiently as possible. And then as the next step to top up with um, making sure that the needs are met with, through different technologies. But definitely subsidizing renewable and energy efficient technologies should be part of the, the policy mix. It's really so interesting to think that somehow we have so many ways to really overcome energy poverty, but still we are of we remain stuck in debates over is this social or is it technical and not acknowledging that certain policies can have distributive effects or negative spillovers, let's say let's say it this way, and that uh if we don't really pay attention to the social impacts of the energy transition, we can really worsen the situation for people who are already in a very difficult situation, who are already making trade-offs on a daily basis. So what would you really recommend? What are the recommendations of your PhD thesis and as an engaged citizen as well, not only as a scientist, but as an engaged citizen? I mean, I think that my key takeaway message is kind of that I want politicians to understand that this is a cross-sectional issue Mm -hmm. and that we do have to look at it in a holistic way and that the, the policies should be driven so that they can acknowledge the differentiated capabilities of households. Mm-hmm. So if we can better understand the needs of individual households, then we can also take the subsidies that we are intending to implement mm-hmm. and make sure that they target the right investments to the right households. Because in South Africa and in Germany, we've also seen that with subsidies, they often get diluted because targeting is such a a difficult thing to identify who actually needs the support. So um, instead of giving the right household the right amount of money, we end up giving more households too little money (laughs) so that, you know, the households who actually don't need it, um, it doesn't make any difference to their investment. Whereas lower income households, um, if you don't give them enough, then it doesn't actually help them enough. You know, it doesn't change their situation significantly. So my main recommendations are really that, I mean, I think you called it social washing. I mean, this is this is true. I mean, in the policy debates, you know, there's kind of like this uh, discussion around trying to make the energy transition um, socially just. Mm-hmm. And my favorite quote is from Paul Dean from UCC in Ireland. So he always says that we should be shaping the energy system around the people, 
and not shaping the people around the energy system. And that's, I just agree with that 100% because it seems like we kind of like do something and then you realize, as you said, the distributional impact. So some households are suffering um, or are negatively impacted. And then you try to put in a new policy to try and iron that out, but it's not well thought through and, you know, it just kind of misses the mark. And I mean, really, we've also seen that we need all households to participate in the energy transition so that we can decarbonize. And the way to do that is to take the time, understand what is happening and who is involved in the energy system, and then to really target the policies specifically to those users. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's the way to see that energy poverty is a structural issue and you it's really clear in uh, in, Af- in African context or in developing economy context that energy poverty and energy access in general is a structural issue and overall in Europe we are still not seeing it as a structural issue, as a structural problem that is rooted beyond uh, gender uh, discrimination, uh, race discrimination, uh, ability as well. And to our auditors right now, if you are just interested in those topics, they are marvelous conversations uh, uh, I've been having with uh, with other people just like Marielle Fensra or Elizabeth Blakelock, for instance, who are addressing exactly those topics. So thank you so much, Audrey, because it was absolutely relevant and uh, it was such a nice addition to other conversations we've been having here on Energetic. And what can I wish you? for the uh, years to come. <laughs> a solution for energy poverty would be nice. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I will come with my magic wand. <laughs> no, but there are some tools and, and t- together with Audrey, we've been working on a, a series of toolkits on how to make a tr- just transition with the people. And mm-hmm. uh, it's on uh, Engager website. Engager is a network of researcher and activists on the energy poverty front. So I will definitely put the link in the show notes because this is, for instance, a tool that can be useful for lots of, of people who don't know the energy poverty topic so well or don't see the structural issues yet. So uh, it gives a lot of tips. So I guess this can be really useful. And of course, follow Audrey on social medias, on LinkedIn, etc., to to know all about your work. And Audrey, when are you presenting your PhD thesis? Well, it's under evaluation at the moment. So I hope that by the summertime, you may call me doctor. (laughs) Yeah, I'm looking very, very much forward to calling you doctor. (laughs) Thank you so much, Audrey. Have a great, great uh, end of the week and uh, see you soon. Thank you very much, Maureen, for having me here today. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Energetic. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive into sustainability and the just energy transition with the most inspiring stakeholders. All links and resources are in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you like this podcast, why not recommend it to a friend or a colleague? To continue the conversation, head on over to Twitter or LinkedIn. Thank you for lending your ears. That's all for this episode. Until next time.